and welcome to another show of harmonics. Today, I have one of the best keyboard players in Northern California. Hell, let's do this, man. California and the yeah, USA. Baby. Please yeah, welcome baby. Mr. Stevie Keys. Baby, what's up? What's up, man? How you doing, Gregory? Man, Good I am you, so glad you are here, man. You are Thanks, man. totally one of the inspirations in my life, just watching you just play. You are yeah, a baby. wizard, man. Thanks. That's You're very just, nice of you. It's great, man. Stevie, let's get right back. Let's just get right into it, man. Let's get right to it. Um, tell me what it's like, or let's do this. Let's go to the beginning. Who and how did you get started on keyboards? Oh, we got to go, go a long way back, brother, for that let's one. Let's go back. Tell me how uh, did you You know, my, my parents were, were both uh, lovers of, of, of music and the arts, and uh, they just decided to get me and my sister um, into music real early. So we started taking piano lessons um, when we were five or six years old. You know, your proverbial classical lessons, and you will sit and practice, and you will learn these sonatinas. And, uh, you know, it was hard, and we hated to practice, but um, kind of gave us a real good foundation to, to kind of move on uh, into uh, into the arts and music and uh, I picked up the French horn somewhere around 11 or 12 years old and <clears throat> played that in, in the in the bands during uh, junior high school and high school and even college I was in the marching band so I was always interested in uh, in music because my parents uh, God bless them God rest their souls um, you know got us in the right direction and I'll forever be grateful for that that's beautiful what you just said there. You, your parents are uh, obviously a big influence on your life. They also used to own a music store in Walnut Creek, was it? They did, yes. Well, tell tell <laughs> the, me about that and, and you know being around all them musical instruments and things like that. Tell me what that Well, it was, it was kind of just the time, uh, the timing was amazing because we came up in the 1960s and we were right here in the Bay Area and we are just immersed in, in the whole scene, the Haight-Ashbury scene. And, our parents owned a record store uh, and brought home the top 15 or the top 20 singles every week and we would be listening to whatever was happening in popular music and one day they brought home some stickers and those stickers were little white stickers that said the Beatles are coming. And I must have had a couple of hundred of them and pasted them all over my room. God, I wish I had still just one of those left. Right. So um, we were right downtown uh, on Broadway in, in Walnut Creek, which used to be kind of a little one-horse town. But it was just, we sold fun. Uh, it was a great place to be. Everyone stopped into that store at one point or another to buy their, uh, it was the place to go to get Sergeant Pepper. Let's just put it that way. Wow, what a, what a great statement that was. Let's talk about Sergeant Pepper just for a moment. Bet. You're a young teenager. Right. When that came out, how did it affect you and what did it do for you? The, the whole Haight-Ashbury scene had us going to concerts early on at Fillmore and Winterland and, and the Beatles and the Stones hit and the whole British invasion and the San Francisco scene. Uh, we're already up and running. Yeah, and um, when Sgt. Pepper came out, that was like uh, nothing anyone had ever heard. 
and um, I know you. I got a witness right here, but <laughs> man, what a what an unbelievable experience to to uh, to live during those times. Uh, and I mean, it was just something that we we latched onto, and it became a part of our life. And it's like it was like going to school. It was yes. part of our education. Yes, it was. And you know, we talk about education, and you had your uh, you know piano lessons and things, your educations. You started to get into rock bands at that particular time, or were you actually just kind of trying to just find your way, or were you actually in bands? Because I've seen a, a young photo of you uh, that is, it, you know, it just captures a moment in time also. Was that when you first started getting rock bands, or what were you actually doing back then to, to, to gravitate towards performing? Uh, you know, my Facebook page has uh, the splash picture is, is a young Stevie Keys sitting in his parents' garage uh, in front of his first Hammond organ, which you can't really see, but you can see uh, my brand new Fender Tremolux, which was a piggyback amp, and it was brand spanking new. And my our parents sold Fender amps at that time in the mid-1960s at Music Town, which was the, the store, because we just didn't sell just records, but they sold everything music. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just sitting there with my little Beatles haircut, and, and uh, yes. I was uh, in my first band, which um, it was called the Blues Union, and we had a we had a chick singer uh, doing uh, some Janice uh, too, doing Janice and doing doing uh, Grace Slick. And thank you, Therese Chudy, if you ever see this, I still love you. Um, my uh, all my musicians from that band are still around except for the bass player. Mm -hmm. And uh, we played battles of the bands, and we played in local Contra Costa bands with uh, the Virtues, who later became Country Weather, right. and the Beggar's Opera, which was kind of a well-known psychedelic band out of the area. And so that's, uh, that was really my first experience um, playing in my own band, and it kind of progressed from there. But yeah, I was, I was doing that early on, the proverbial garage band. And, uh, Never, never be sorry for a single moment. It was wonderful. You know, uh, great things happen in garages, don't they? You betcha. You know. Um, so you did that. <laughs> Who are some of your influences besides the Beatles, obviously? You don't have a sticker? I don't have one of those stickers. Damn, I think I, I think my, ask you, I was Right? Yeah, yeah. I think my sister still has the John, Paul, George, and Ringo lunch pail because they had all these little things. And you know, it's probably, yes, of course. Uh, that's, that's somewhere better. Um, so how, how did... How did you, who were some of your influences? Piano players or was it just guitar players or piano players? I mean, because that's what keyboard. you're with keyboard. Who was your, who was your influences? Like? I, I got into the Hammond organ early on. That was the love of my life. And the only thing I ever wanted was a Hammond B3 and a 122 Leslie and a, and a, and a van to move it in. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, I'm going to ask you to help me move that stuff because I ain't moving it alone. <laughs> So my biggest influences were, were guys like um, uh, Greg Raleigh uh, from Santana.
Michaels, uh, who was just an with incredible Frosty. For, with with Frosty, uh, Keith Emerson, uh, you know uh, John Lord from Deep Purple. Uh, these are the cats that I I looked up to. Um, Frosty from Steppenwolf, mm. uh, or rather, um, was that his name? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was also Lee Michaels' drummer. Right. Uh, but um, I really loved uh, playing the Hammond organ, and I and that's what I did all my life, and I, that's what I still love, and I still do. What a big sound, huh? Big sound. Big sound. Yeah, so guitar players don't even mess with me because I've got, I've got four 122 Leslie's and I will blow you away. I will turn it up to 11. In fact, mine goes up to 12. So, <laughs> so you, can, <clears throat> you could play some of the stuff that Deep Purple and them did actually play. You could just ramp on it. You could just rip on it. I, I can, uh, especially these days. Mm-hmm. And I, I did <clears throat> quite a bit of that in a project I did about two years ago with a couple of buddies of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to play Hammond Oregon all the way through on, on, the, uh, on the album, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself. <laughs> Great difficulty. <laughs> yeah, always had uh, always had people helping me. Depended on the on the whatever project we were we were doing, but it always helped to have roadies to, to move. But you can't you couldn't get a sound like that from any synthesizer, and you really still can't. Mm-hmm. Stevie, do you uh, <coughs> excuse do me? You, do you um, do you write your own music also? Do you write? Do. do you write it in notation, or you just write it from feel, or you know the progression? You don't necessarily have to do it. Like say, if you're in a key E. Do you write your progression out? Do you do one, four, or five patterns, or you just kind of go which which direction do you go? Like say, if, like just say, if, for instance, if we were in the key of E, what would you? How would you expound on your progression on that? What would you do? Well, your your uh, your most uh, uh, usual suspects would would be one, four, five, E, A, and B, right. and uh, you might throw in a G minor seven if if you were really lucky. Uh, depends on who you're playing with, but. Right. Uh, a lot of the stuff that that I write and and my partners write generally, you know, you sit down and you just start jamming and something appears. And with the new technology, you can press the red button and just go to town. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the old days, we didn't have the opportunity to do that, so right. all these things that you came up with would be lost forever. Mm-hmm. But um, so sometimes you just start with um, a random pattern uh, and try to write the song. Uh, through, you know, using just uh, the one, four, five, or you know, the A, B, A modes, right? Uh, or the other way would be to use a notation program uh, and actually input mm-hmm. uh, into you know uh, a software, which is a lot more tedious. But that's another way to do it. Is so you're you also so you're working with a we'll we'll skip a little area here. Sure, you're doing <laughs> a lot of uh, technology right now. What is the technology for you, and how is that helping you to be? more rounded or a better musician because there's so much 
going on, as you know, in, in the music. So what do you use to make you enhance your playing even more? Um, I'm, I'm able to, to go into studios that have, uh, basically they use Pro Tools, which is kind of the standard of the industry these days, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to record uh, different tracks and mix everything together digitally, and uh, you can do amazing things. I like the live sound. I like having the rhythm section together, and you have keyboards, drums, bass, uh, guitar, and you lay that down, and then you start overdubbing, and you see how that stuff comes out. Mm -hmm. So I've got a producer who I've, I've worked with uh, a whole bunch, Tom Size, who I respect immensely. Mm -hmm. And he's done a whole bunch of uh, our projects for us. You know, you're talking about Pro Tools. To, the, to our audience out there in TV land, what is actually Pro Tools for? Is it an, it's an enhancer or you hear like Eddie or, you know, Jason Becker and different people have used Pro Tools throughout their careers and we've had other guests that have told about what is actually Pro Tools? This is, a, is it a computerized program or what is it basically? Pro Tools is, is, a, is a software program that enables you to record multi-tracks um, uh, and just have an unlimited access to, to overdubbing, to mixing, uh, to mastering, uh, as opposed to the old uh, model, with which was two-inch tape. Uh, right, the, the mixing boards are still generally the same, but the actual model to record has changed. It's digital. And um, I don't profess to know a lot about it. I usually let those guys do it. Uh, I try to write the music and, re and, and, and the songs and uh, do the, the play the instruments. So. I'm getting a little more proficient at it, but it takes a, it's a long learning curve. So, Stevie, <clears throat> when you're recording, do you, do you uh, layer your tracks yourself sometimes? Do you double track or triple track your pieces, or you just kind of play underline, you'll have like a melody, and then you'll, you'll add that little spice of something? What do you actually do when you're laying down your track? Or what do you hear? What makes Stevie, what inspires Stevie to, when, to write a piece? What do, you, what, do you, what do you see in your mind or... What inspires you to write a piece of your own? Honestly, it's it's just it's been the same for for 35, 40 years. I, I just sat, sit down with, with a, a good musician like yourself, and we just start to jam, mm -hmm. and we just come up with an idea, and pretty soon we just start fleshing it out. And here's part one, and here's the chorus, and here's the verse, and and uh, you know just kind of take it from there. Uh, nothing really uh, too dramatic about it, but that's uh, that's what inspires me is playing with other musicians because I've been jamming with musicians since I was 14, mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds of them, and I believe that's the way, the very best way to uh, to learn how to be a chameleon and to come up with parts and, and to to write great music. You said an interesting thing. You said chorus first. Uh, <clears throat> as a as a youngster. I read uh, Paul McCartney, and of course, we all know s yesterday was called Scrambled Eggs. And, but he always says now what he writes is his chorus, and I think that's you could build around that. So that's what I do. That's how we write. Exactly. Uh, you know, with Blue Voodoo. Um, let's, let's, let's move on a little channel here and how you, let's talk about Journey. Tell me your affiliation with Journey and what is it, you know, tell me what it is with Journey and you, and you've done some work with Journey. And I've seen you also on a PBS special. You were in a ride in a bus with Ross. And t tell me what was that all about? And tell me your your, your journey with Journey. Um, I've I've known uh, Ross Valerie for 40 years, and he's one of my dear friends. And uh, I was actually in a band with Ross before Journey formed in the early 70s. Oh my God, I'm dating myself. <laughs> I'm going way back. <laughs> Uh, right. But I've got to talk a little bit about this band. It was called sure. Little John, and it was a, a horn band uh, that was um, 
signed uh, to Epic Records, and we were we they had a couple of albums on Epic. Uh, uh, Clive Davis at the helm, and produced by uh, Fred Cotero and David Rubinson, which are the old Fillmore uh, days back back in the day. And uh, Ross was actually did the recording with us before Journey formed. Wow. And so um, I've known him for a very long time, and him and I and, and little John Hart um, and a whole bunch of horn players, the great musicians. And we were kind of like in between Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears at the time. But there wasn't quite a slot for us, and it was one of those situations where we, we made a great album, but it never happened. Mm -hmm. And I know we've all got those stories. Sure. So um, I was kept in touch with Ross. Journey formed uh, <clears throat> the first three albums with, without Perry. And then uh, we were at Fantasy Studios in 1980. Uh, another band had gotten together called A Thousand Lights, and Journey was there doing Escape, uh, which was their multi-platinum album. It kind of catapulted, and the rest is history. And I was asked to play on this studio track uh, on an album called Captured. It was the only studio track on the album uh, because Greg Raleigh had left the band and Jonathan Kane had not yet come to the band. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of in the right place at the right time and they asked me to, to play on The Party's Over, Hopelessly in Love. So I was uh, delighted to do that, of course. Of Are you course. kidding? Am I going to turn Journey down to, to go play a track? So um, that was my affiliation in terms of recording with the band. Um, and I just kind of always stayed in and around the, the, the family all through the trials and tribulations and the breakup and the reformation. And uh, uh, Ross and I and George Tickner did an album together called VTR, which you may or may not play a track from that later, okay. uh, which is kind of an instrumental album. Um, I did some stuff with Neil Schoen on one of his solo albums. And then my girlfriend and I were traveling with the band in Southern California a couple of years ago. They were playing, the band was playing at the Greek Theater. It was... Uh, uh, was it Cheap Trick and Heart? I think that was the tour. Mm -hmm. um, and Arnel Pineda had joined the band not too long before that, and so we were riding with him, and the cameras were there. They were doing a documentary. They, they knew that they would be doing a documentary on Arnel and the band, and so we just happened to be riding uh, in the back of the van when, when some video was shot. and said, oh, you might be in the movie, you might not. Ended up, we were we did a cameo, and uh, it's great. Yeah, it was, it was delightful, and they're all great guys. Mm -hmm. Just a what do you think? It's <clears throat> between the bands. They're both, you know, the bands have gone through what numerous a couple personnel changes. Tell me about Jonathan Kane being there, you know, replacing Greg and stuff like that. Tell me what what does Jonathan Kane bring to the mix, and what he makes it even. You know, he's kind of like the glue too. What it, what's Jonathan Cain's playing to you like? I mean, when you you've been right night right up next to him, what makes him so unique in that sound of Journey? Jonathan came from a band called The Babies, yes. and uh, Jonathan is uh, a multi-talented instrumentalist. Uh, he he plays uh, keyboards, he plays uh, synth, Hammond organ. Uh, and he also plays guitar, and his writing is is off the charts. I mean, some of the the best tracks ever written uh, for for Journey were were Jonathan Neal and Steve Perry, mm -hmm. and so um, I, I I wish that I had been able to to continue and be the keyboard player for the band, but I didn't play guitar, and uh, he did, and that's what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And whatever Neal wants, Neal gets, and uh, he sure made the right decision because uh, uh, the rest is history. But um, he bring he he's just the glue and he's colorful and supportive and I think you know that a keyboard player plays that role a lot in a band uh, especially behind uh, someone who solos a lot like Neil right. 
and uh, he just brought a whole new um, dimension. dimension to the band where, where uh, Greg was primarily a Hammond organ player, and uh, but Jonathan brought a lot of synthesizers and acoustic piano, and I mean, you know, it was just a different deal when Steve when Steve Perry joined the band. So I always respected him, and he's one of the nicest human beings on earth also, mm -hmm. which also helps. While we're on the subject of, of <coughs> Steve Perry, I know you're a giant fan, and I know you haven't come down. I don't think a lot of us have come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did that really happen? Come on. Sure Are three, you serious? Three, three. Um, yeah, baby. You've got to watch Steve as a, as a giant fan. You've got, been up close and personal. We have. Tell, tell us what it's like just to hang with Steve just for a few moments. I know you've done it before, but do you ever think, and this is just speculation, that Triumph will ever come back again, that triumphant of Perry, Sean, and, and uh, Ross, you know, Ross coming back, playing again? you think that is a possibility? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get shot for this, but I'm going to say what I've said for years, and that is that it's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. Mm -hmm. um, Arnel Pineda is a fantastic, wonderful uh, singer. He's, right. he's, he's done what no one else could do for that band. They right. have a whole new following, and, and they've reinvented themselves, which they tend to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that that's going to happen someday. Mm -hmm. um, there's still some humps to get over, and there's still some, uh, some wrinkles to, to iron out. Sure. And I, but I, I think it's getting closer I can't tell you when that might happen, but Steve's been out. He's been visible and present, and he's right. leading 43,000 fans <laughs> exactly. at AT&T Park. I came down on the field right. for the first time, and... Uh, the band from LA called the Eels and he's actually been on stage performing okay. so and he wants to to be uh, productive again whether or not it's with journey too soon I don't know I hope I hope someday that that happens that'd be great yeah it would be what is now Stevie you currently you've been doing you're doing some projects we talked about that right when you're by yourself what inspires you? What do you listen to? What What is the music that you listen to? I know you've, we've, we've turned to the Beatles, the Stones. What, what does Stevie do when you're just by yourself and it's just you and you're around your keyboard? What are you actually, what are you doing there? What are you thinking of when to either write? What are you doing? What inspires you by yourself to, to move on like you do moving forward? You know, uh, I'm... <sighs> Everything has changed so dramatically, uh, the technology, uh, over the past 15, 20 years. If you had have asked me 20 years ago that this would be happening with the Internet and YouTube and Facebook and 
the, the, the way that music gets written and recorded and distributed, I would have thought you were nuts. It was like, you know, are we going to the moon back in 1940? I don't think so. But um, I find myself listening to a lot of everything. I'm a melting pot. I listen to a lot of hip-hop and rap, believe it or not. I love the production. Mm -hmm. I don't like the message sometimes because um, it's negative. It's negative, but yes, especially towards women. And I I hate that. But I listen to country. Uh, A lot of it's blend. I watched the CMA Awards the other night. I wasn't impressed. But Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of creativity. in other venues besides rock and roll, and I don't care what you say, Gene, Gene Simmons' rock and roll was not dead. Um, it's just changing. It's changing. Right. It's changing. So um, I'm not sure how to answer that question. I'm just, I've always liked everything except for hardcore opera. I, I still find that I'm kind of hard. hard to listen well, to Ring. Italian, French, German, we have to, you know, maybe hair. Yeah. We liked hair. You so know, I'm kind um, of a melting pot. That's that's you're what, a melting pot. Yes, I am. Yeah. And I'm so glad to hear that because that's what makes you so colorful. And and uh, you know, Stevie, time goes so quickly just doing this interview. So um, without further ado, I'd like to ask Stevie. This Stevie, you had your pair of shades on. I've I've noticed that you had them on. If you could put uh, them I on, I carried those in. If gotcha. um, now Stevie looks. Ultra cool. This is a giant fan for a long time. Giant fan for life, baby. Great keyboard player, friends of so many rock musicians, blues musicians, jazz players all over the place. If you get a chance, try to get this guy. But what we normally do, we give a shout out to all our fans. We want to thank everybody. But a special little special moment I want to just say, uh, uh, a, a great woman promoter is ill right now. And I want to give a little shout out, CV and I, to Joyce. Joyce. Joyce, we love you. Love you, Joyce. And uh, what we do, let's give Joyce and all our female friends uh, a big kiss and all our, everybody, just, here we go. Thank you and good night. This is Gregory and Stephen Keys, man. We'll see you again. God bless. Peace. Peace, baby.